Yo, everybody. Welcome to Talking with Apple's podcast, where we talk about everything mobile development. I'm your host, Apple's Pajapples, or just PJ. And this episode of Talking with Apple's, we speak about mobile DevOps. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to another episode of Talking with Apple's. Today we have a really, really cool guest um, and we're going to be talking about DevOps um, and specifically for mobile developers. Today we have Nicola, who is an Android infrastructure engineer at Spotify and also a Kotlin GDE. And yeah, he's going to help us um, go through some DevOps um, topics today. So yeah, welcome, Nicola. Hey, everyone. So excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So yeah, um, I'm going to start off with a question that is probably on everybody's mind. So some people might not know what DevOps is, or they've maybe heard about it, um, or they've even heard, they've seen it happen in their company, but they might have seen it on the, the backend side of things, because it's always like Kubernetes and all these other things that go on. But as a mobile engineer, maybe we can chat a little bit about um, uh, mobile DevOps and what that actually is. Yeah, sure. I think like, let me give you a little bit of background on what I do. So yeah, as I said, my name is Nicola. I work as Android infrastructure engineer at Spotify in Stockholm, Sweden. And this, this infrastructure word is in between my title of Android engineer actually makes a difference. And the fact that you have like pretty big organizations like Spotify or even where it was before at Yelp, they are like delivering Android uh, apps to the store. And they have like tons of Android developers working on that, like really. Uh, not just four or five, several, like really a lot. And you need special, <laughs> yeah, a lot. So you need special people that are responsible of uh, the tooling and the infrastructure that are needed to actually be able to ship the app to the Play Store. So when, when a big app hits the Play Store, a new version of an app hits the Play Store is actually the result of an orchestration of several teams and infrastructure that are working together to achieve that goal. And I work in that field, so I'm mostly responsible of developing tools and libraries as the case for other Android engineer. And I would say that, I don't know, this was, is, and was always my passion. Like as soon as I discovered that you can actually work and have other engineers as your user. So my main user is another engineer. Like I am happy if my fellow developers are also happy. And that, that's what makes my day. And I think that's basically what describes a, a DevOps engineer. Like you are, uh, you are there to empower others. In mobile specifically, you are there to empower other mobile engineers. And so this means, I don't know, creating APKs, making sure that the release pipeline works correctly, uh, making sure that all the tools for building uh, the app works fine, libraries that you can use, uh, UI components that you can test your app, that you don't get slowed down by all those extra setup needed to just uh, focus on what you really, as a feature developer, want to do. So like create features. 
and create a great UI. Yeah, so that, that's pretty interesting um, because I think that's a completely different side of mobile development that not a lot of people get to play around in, I would say, or even develop in. Um, so it's pretty interesting. But if there's somebody out there, one of our listeners, that is listening to the podcast and they're like, oh, that is really, really awesome. My company um, does that, um, doesn't do that, actually. They don't actually do um, any kind of mobile DevOps. We maybe create our APKs from someone's machine and we upload them to the Play Store. I'm sure that still happens at some places. What would be a motivational? Why would you say this DevOps is really important for a company or um, or any company from a small from a small startup to um, to a massive enterprise to have actual DevOps for their mobile um, applications? Well, so DevOps, both in mobile and also in other discipline, revolves all around the culture. Like it really starts from there. It's not just hiring people that have DevOps in the title and create a team and let them work. Uh, they will not work fine if you don't have a strong culture, like a strong DevOps culture. That means delivering great software, delivering quality to our end user. And I can totally see how uh, smaller companies like startups, they might, mm, especially in their initial phase, skip on this, on this part. They might just like be focused on delivering the product as soon as possible and creating new feature and going to the market. But as soon as a company grows, you need to have infra proper infrastructure because you need to maintain a certain quality. And if you just like add engineers, engineers, engineers and put them work aside, your code base will just explode. So you need people to, mm -hmm. to orchestrate and to create, you know, harmony in this chaos. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's exactly what, like, you know, a, a DevOps engineer or a mobile DevOps engineer is, is actually doing. Okay, that's cool. But, okay, cool. So let's maybe let dive a little bit about, little into um, some of these tools that you're mentioning. So you mentioned um, quality. Um, so, so what does that mean? Like, um, if I had to Google DevOps now, it would probably tell me, it would probably firstly show me the, the cool diagram, the little infinity diagram, which is really cool. Um, I will link a picture of the infinity diagram below in the show notes. Uh, but for, for our listeners, um, you spoke about tooling. Um, what kind of tools do you create as a DevOps engineer? Um, in terms of like quality or monitoring tools or, or what is that? What does that mean? So I would say that the first tool that I would really recommend everyone to, to have is a continuous integration system. That might sound, sound obvious <laughs> to a lot of people. Yeah. But I've actually like done a lot of open source development and I picked up projects that were actually pretty big and they had no CI at all. Like they were just <laughs> pushing code and merging <laughs> master whatever was coming. And that's, that's really crazy. So if you happen to work in a place where you don't have a CI, please <laughs> make sure you, you create one or just find a different job because uh, that, is a, that, that is a pretty huge red flag on my end because CI are the primary tool to ensure quality. Like they, they allow engineers to rely on other machines to run their tests and to run all the, all the steps that are necessary 
to hit um, like a high quality bar. Uh, and then another another tool that I would really recommend uh, to use is um, like form formatters, linters, and static analyzers, like tools that inspect the code and they don't rely on the human eye to to check to find things. Specifically, like if if you happen to have pull requests or code reviews full of comments like, "Hey, this white space should not be there." this line should be at the next line or uh, please use uh, single quotes rather than double quotes or yeah. stuff like that. Uh, that is wasting your time. Really. Yeah. Like that is, that is a huge point where you're losing time and you could just automate that. So invest the time properly to automate that with, with like a formatter or any other tool that is able to inspect the code and make a decision. And I think that those kind of tools, actually, they are great in a way that they can be seen as a form of education. Like, uh, if you go like a step further and you use a tool like like a static analyzer, like Lint or for Kotlin, I, I love to mention Detect. <laughs> uh, if you if you use if you use a tool like like that one, you can have custom rules that help you enforce uh, code styles that are specific of your code base. So maybe, I don't know, you, you have a discussion with your team and you want to end up using a certain feature or you want to discourage a certain feature. For example, in Kotlin, you could um, have um, custom operators, like you could override operators and the, code, and the code could look hard to understand if that is done wi like wildly. Yeah. And you can just like write a custom rule to, to prevent that. And that is a form, like it's an automated form of education because juniors engineers that will pick up your code base, they will end up in a situation where there is a tool that tells them, hey, this is, you're not supposed to do that. And maybe even provide an explanation, like because of the sanity of our code base, we don't want to allow operator overloads. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's definitely tools that every DevOps engineer should have in their like, uh, toolbox and make sure like even if you're not a devops engineer you can you could still take a stab and spend some time setting up something like that in your company if you don't have it yet okay yeah so i think you mentioned um quite a few important things there um you mentioned ci so i definitely want to dive into that you also mentioned um linters you mentioned static code analysis um uh, you mentioned Detect, which is really great because as Android engineers, um, Detect is pretty great for Kotlin. Um, but yeah, let's let, let's maybe just dive into, let's take a step back and maybe dive into CI. Because um, some people might have not even heard about CI and we were speaking about all these uh, massive open source projects and they don't have a CI and um, people are, are thinking like, okay, like, well, what is the, what is the deal with this continuous integration thing? Why do we need to have it? Um, so maybe let's dive a little bit into that. So well, what are the benefits actually? So you mentioned a few benefits, but what are the benefits um, of having a CI, let's say on an open source project that, I am, I'm, I'm writing an Android app um, that I would like to just open source to the world. Let's say it's a to-do list. Um, and I want some other people to, to contribute to this specific um, application. Um, how would a CI help me in that environment? So 
To understand the CI, you need to understand that basically you always want your code base to be in a so-called releasable state. So you want to take your code base at any point and say like, hey, from now, I want to create the app and I want to go to the store. And this has a lot of benefits just because first it allows you to open the code base in any IDE and let it run and see what is actually going on with the app. It allows you to release an hotfix if something is going wrong on the Play Store. It's just like, you know, it, it's, it's generally a sign of a good health of your code base if you're able to, to build it properly. Uh, to make sure that you're able to build it properly, you need to make sure that every change that comes in in your code base, it, it's, it's not breaking your code base. And to do that, so either like the manual way you should like get the branch <laughs> of someone else yeah. that is, you know, <laughs> suggesting a change and try it locally on your machine. But that's just like introduce a lot of variability to the fact that my machine could be misconfigured. I could maybe use, I don't know, an older version of my ID or whatsoever. And I might just fail to build or I might succeed to build. And the the change is actually invalid. Uh, Using a CI instead allows first to automate this. So you will have like an external machine that is responsible of building the app and testing it. And it excludes all the um, like developer environment specific configuration. Like if, again, if you have a machine that is too slow and is, I don't know, randomly crashing and it's failing to build up, you exclude those. So you have like a so-called like a common environment where you can test and make sure that if it builds there, then we are fine. Uh, I mentioned building. I said testing also before, but the CI can be used to run a lot of a lot of tools that are all um, used to basically ensure quality of your code base. Those tools. So first, building building the app, building your project is already a first check mark in the quality list. Yeah. Call it like that. But doing tests is another is another point. Doing static analysis could be another. So you, for example, you want to say like. Um, I don't want to include changes that increases the number of warnings I already have in my code base. And you could like on mobile, there are actually a lot of other checks that are really specific of the mobile world. They are not, uh, they are not available, like they're not present in other discipline. For example, in mobile, you might want your CI to check your APK size. Yeah. You might be interested in like not having huge APKs. And so you want to make sure that a a change is coming and this is adding, I don't know, one megabyte, mm, maybe too much, or this is adding one kilobyte. Okay, that's, that's a change we accept. And, or for example, on mobile, you maybe don't want to merge a change, to merge a new feature that is not translated. That depends on how your localization pipeline works. But you definitely want to avoid situation where you release your app to the Play Store and a feature looks completely fine in English, but then when I switch language to, I don't know, Italian, yeah. I have like mixed strings in Italian <laughs> and in English. That is, yeah, funny, but at the same time makes me feel like, you know, a bit like second class citizen that is not great. So you don't want to treat your users like that. You want to make sure your, your app is always in a, in a releasable state, is in a good state. 
So a CI helps you exactly with, with. Okay, yeah, because I mean, I think a CI, um, for for my experience also, like a CI is this um, kind of like separate environment. Um, you know, the, you know the meme that everybody always says it works on my machine, right? Um, and yeah. <laughs> and CIs literally prevent this this meme from happening. Um, and I think it's it's literally what you mentioned there um, when you said that we we kind of have um, different environments. Everyone's um, computer or machine that they're working on is actually completely different and in a different state um, at any time. And we want to make sure that if if um, we have this to do application. Um, I will be able to just pull the code and run it because then we know it's in the same state um, because of the CI. So it kind of gives us that um, that ability um, to kind of have that um, confidence that everything is working, um, not just on the engineer that did the last pull request machine. Um, yeah. yeah, and on this front, actually, previously you mentioned a lot about open source. Yeah. Now, if you're building software on GitHub or on GitLab, you definitely have no excuses to, to have a CI in place because both have great tools like GitHub Actions or GitLab CI. They are so easy to configure. And sometimes they even have like pop-ups like, hey, you have a Android project. How about I set up the CI for you? Yeah. So, um, so they're free if you... The, the GitHub Actions is definitely free for open source projects. Uh, GitLab CI should also be free to some extent. I, I've been using that, but I, I will not bet on the quota for open source projects. But like, if you have a small project, you can just use them without thinking about even having to pay about those services. And at the end of the day, you're actually running code on other people's machine. So yeah. I, think, I think it's just great and there is really no excuse to, to don't have a CI. It's like setting up a CI is literally the first step I do in any project I, I start. I definitely agree with that. Like, I think that's literally the first thing I do. I go file new project and then I close the project and then it's all about the CI from the beginning, um, which, is, which is a really great point. And I think, I think this is something that um, people should maybe strive for um, when when actually creating new projects or even existing projects that they might have now, um, I think it could be really beneficial to the quality of the application to have a CI. Um, and you mentioned a few a few names there. So we have GitLab, we have um, GitHub Actions. Um, there's a few other tools out there. There's Bertrise. Um, I've, I've heard of Semaphore CI. There's Travis that was really popular for open source development um, before um, GitHub Actions. I think I think GitHub Actions, obviously, because a lot of people use GitHub. Um, yeah. They they kind of just um, naturally went to GitHub Actions after that. But there's quite a few um, tools out there that is cloud based, of course. Um, but what if somebody wanted to run their CI on their machine? Um, how does that work? Like, um, can you recommend any tools or any kind of CI uh, platforms that maybe? Um, can run these things locally or or maybe just um, a way for people to um, mimic a CI environment locally? Yeah, so, well, it depends on, on, several, on several ways. If you want to mimic a CI environment locally, I would say just use Docker. But 
I know the mobile engineers, like, <laughs> they will not be happy of getting this answer because <laughs> then I go to my fellow Android engineer and tell them, hey, how about you use Docker container to build this? They say, like, Docker what? <laughs> uh, yeah, which command should I do? And he's like, uh, okay, that's fine. Um, I, can, I can totally see how Docker is a great tool, but it's not super developer friendly, especially if, you're, if you haven't played with that so much. And so at the end of the day, it all resolves to where your code is hosted. So if, if, you, if you need an in, like, um, a CI tool that you want to install on your machine to have like an on-premise solution, you can go with something like Jenkins. So Jenkins is like, it's probably the, the biggest CI open source project that is available right now. And there is this hate and love relationship. <laughs> Like I think I think the web is also full of memes <laughs> of like uh, like uh, the skeleton waiting in front of the computer and the the caption is like waiting for Jenkins builds or <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, but it's actually uh, extremely customizable as a lot of plugins. Uh, it's really flexible. Uh, it used to have a really terrible UI, uh, but now with the latest release. Um, I haven't followed so much, but I saw some some tooling like um, Jenkins pipelines, and uh, yeah, like I saw a lot of improvements on that front. I haven't actually played with Jenkins recently, uh, but that that's probably the de facto solution if you want to install a CI architecture, like a CI tool on your on your environment. Otherwise, uh, people just buy um, like enterprise solution. Uh, so either on self-hosted runners or uh, they just buy the runners of others. Like GitHub Actions can scale pretty pretty good on that front. I want to mention also, uh, as you said before, BitRise. I've been playing recently actually with BitRise. Uh, I think that BitRise is really developer friendly. Instead, uh, is like especially if you're mobile, you will be amazed by finding a lot of uh, pre-made like um like building blocks that you can compose to to create your pipelines i think it has like a lot of potential so if you if you are like if you are a startup or if you have like a um smaller to mid company and you are like releasing one or two apps that might might work really well and i don't know about the scalability of the tool on the on the higher end and i haven't had the opportunity to, to play with that. So far, I saw like all the other friends and colleagues that I spoke with that work at big, bigger companies, they all end up with on-premise solution and they manage their own worker. Like they decide, hey, I, I want those uh, 10 workers, 20 workers, I don't know, to be responsible of my CI. Yeah. So they, they can do all the load balancing and all the fine tuning that are needed when you have so many engineers and you want to scale like on, on the build time. Okay, yeah, I think I think BitRise is a quite a cool solution. Um, I've been using it for quite a bit. Um, and I think you can actually run your CI even locally with BitRise. I think they've open sourced. Um, yeah, they have a um, CLI tool. Yeah, right? I think their CLI tool um, is open sourced um, and you can pretty much go and like write your own rules or your own little packages building blocks um, by yourself I forgot what they call it um, I can't remember the name but yeah you can pretty much go and write that so that's also a really cool tool 
Um, and then I think I think let's just segue into the the next thing, which is um, static code analysis is something that you mentioned. So we spoke about about a CI and we spoke about building and testing everything. But we have this this static code analysis thing, and we touched on a few topics like linters um, and custom rules and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, obviously, there might be um, engineers um, on Android and iOS um, listening to this podcast. But I mean, um, you are one of the maintainers for Detect, which is amazing. So thank you, because I use Detect. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's a really really great tool. Maybe we can just delve a little bit uh, into the static code analysis world, um, why why that's also just as important as building your your application for giving it to the Play Store, um, but bringing it more closer to the engineers themselves. Yeah, so as I said uh, before, static code, anal- code analysis is one of my favorite topic as far as it concerned like the DevOps world. I think it's where, as I said before, a lot of education happens. And I, I joined the Detect project as a maintainer uh, er, early this year, I think. And I really like the community behind it. I think it's, there is a lot of there is a lot of discussions happening in the in the issues in the pull requests. I learned a lot from that, and I, I like to to think as detect as one of the tool that is um, fundament- fundamental for the Kotlin community as a whole. Like I saw the majority of Kotlin projects relying on, on detect. I mean, the one I played with. And I like to think at detect as, as I said, as, as a tool where we can sort of provide guidance, especially to junior engineers and create rules that helps, like that help them to, to write great software. That is the end goal. Um, so detect is is a tool that works only for Kotlin code, but it works for uh, any Kotlin project. So if you're doing Kotlin multi-platform mobile, it works. If you're doing Kotlin native, Kotlin JS, it works fine. Um, if you have a mixed code base with Java and Kotlin, obviously the Java file will not be inspected. Uh, so that for that you need you need other tools. Like generally, you either use uh, Lint, Lint, Android Lint has Android specific inspections, so it can provide um, can give you guidance on problems that are like Android specific. Like hey, you have unused resources, or uh, I don't know, this is not translated. Uh, if you if you're looking for something uh, Java specific, uh, there are a variety of tools. Just because the Java community is older than the Kotlin one. Uh, and I mean, spot bugs, um, whatever, like really there are a variety of tools over there that you can use. But I uh, I have to admit that I tend to be a pretty avid Kotlin converter guy. <laughs> so um, <laughs> like uh, as soon as I pick up a code base, there is, there is Java base, I, I convert it to, to Kotlin as soon as possible to be able to benefit of those like tooling uh, I also want to to mention that um, to get back on Detect, it's it's a community developed tool, right? There is no company behind, and we uh, I want to say thank you to you and to all the other people that are actually using it. 
And don't be shy. Just drop us a message in the issue board if you have a problem or uh, join on the Detect channel in the Kotlin Slack. Kotlin, Kotlin Lang Slack. Um, just because we are really looking for new contributors. We're looking for ideas. Like if you, if you, if you think the tool is not working for you or you would like a new, a new, um, a new, a new rule, we can, we can definitely work on that. And as I said before, uh, we had really interesting discussions on how the language evolves and what are the capability of the language talking about rules. And so sometimes we, we have rules that is just like they are asking for a too complex inspection that this, the capability of detect are not able to support yet. Uh, but it's interesting. Like uh, for me, it was, I, I really like Kotlin as a language. And for me, being able to work on a tool that is responsible of inspecting the language was just an amazing experience. Yeah. And I, and I wish everyone like the opportunity to, to spend time on, on working on static analysis because uh, I I just I just like it and 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 like last last uh, last suggestion really uh, spend the time creating custom rules for your for your project I, I said this before but I want to say it again I think custom rules have the like they, they have the capability to really achieve high code quality like to 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 let you reach high quality standards for your code base, if you enforce them and if you use them as a tool to just, you know, find consensus again, like among your developers. They're a great tool. Sometimes they're underrated. I'm a big fan of having, having custom rules. I know developers are sometimes are just lazy because, ah, oh, that rule is too complicated or whatsoever. But on Detect, we have documentation for writing them. So again, and if you get stuck, open an issue and ask us support. We'll be more than happy. And maybe that rule will become an official detect rule as well. Okay, yeah. And I think, I think like you mentioned, the um, a point that I really enjoyed there was the education, especially when it comes to new developers. Um, you, might be, you might be a junior or a senior developer, but you're coming into a completely different code base. Um, and the, the team by themselves might be following specific rules or specific um, style guides um, or standards. Um, and they might have, like you mentioned, added some kind of custom rules and stuff like that. I think uh, the static code analysis in general kind of helps um, developers get started in a code base um, and also helps maintain that specific quality. Um, and like you mentioned, Android linters, um are also great for Android-specific um, issues that might be running in your code. Um, but like you said, um, I think I think detect for for any Kotlin developer if they haven't if they haven't tried it out yet, um, definitely go look it up. Um, it's a really really great tool. I'll also link it in the show notes. So if yeah. if anybody wants to to check that out, um, definitely um, start using a static code analysis tool. It will make your code base better. Um, so that's really, really cool. And then, yeah, so, and then, so we've, we've kind of covered, um, really great topics there. And then, so how do we kind of put all of this together? So now I have, I have my, my CI balls, I have my code review, almost like an automated code review bot, I would say, um, that's like looking in terms of static code analysis, looking at my code, giving me suggestions, um, 
And so how do I kind of put all of this together um, for, let's say, my engineering manager or my PM to um, my project manager to kind of just visualize it and see all of this together? Like, um, like, do we have, is there, are there tools that, that you would recommend um, that people kind of use to kind of get this up on like a dashboard or something? Um and then that, that so people can actually see that, that this is adding value to specific to our, our application that we are building. Yeah, so on the on the visualization side, I used to use like a lot of different tools for creating dashboards. It really depends on what the company that you happen to be in uh, prefers to use. I would say, um, for example, I, I played a lot with Splunk. I think is a great tool for visualization uh, and for logging. I really, mm, I mean, at the beginning, maybe learning is not super easy. I have to mention, like you need to spend some time crawling through the documentation, but then afterwards it works pretty well. Um, I would say that uh, to follow up on your first question, like how you go to your engineering manager on this front, I really think Again, this reconnects to the to the culture point that I I said before. Like you can have your dashboard that shows the number of crashes, or you can have your dashboard that shows, I don't know, like the number of bugs in your code. Is it relevant? Maybe not. But you can have all the metrics you want. But if there is no if there is no commitment and interest in building a culture around it, then then it gets really complicated. Um, it, there, are, there are metrics that are crucial for uh, the management. They are generally like, they are generally are like the number of crashes, the um, rating on the Play Store, uh, user engagement, churn, whatsoever. Like those are metrics, but sometimes are hard to relate. Like how do I relate the user rating drop? with the tests failing in my <laughs> CI. Like, how do I justify that I need to spend more time fixing testing? So uh, I totally understand the struggle here. And, and it's real, like, unfortunately, it really depends on the management, on how educated, uh, and with educated, I mean, like, how engineering background is, is uh, how much engineering background the management has. And if, if there is no willing to commit on this, on this front, unfortunately it's, it's really complicated, but my suggestion is to like, if you are in an org in any, any company, like always search for this so-called platform team, uh, like wherever I've been, there is always those sort of like core team or platform team or Android infra team or foundation team. Call it however you want, yeah. but it's the team that is responsible of the skeleton of the app, basically. And that team is responsible of, I don't know, creating the testing infra and setting up the CI and shipping the app to production based on uh, how big the company is. Maybe there are multiple teams, but more or less you, you generally have at least one team. If you don't have such a team, and you're interested in this, you might be the good candidate to actually kick off this culture and kick off this team. Because again, those, those, all the tools I mentioned, at the end of the day, they allow a company to scale the number of engineers 
Like if you want to grow, you need to have a you know orchestrated way to work to to grow properly. Like you need to make sure that if you add more engineers, they are able to work together properly. So again, culture it 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 all it all starts and arrives there. I would say like if there is if there is no strong DevOps culture, it's up to you to 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 build it over there. I know it's hard. Yeah, it takes takes quite some time. Uh, specifically in the mobile in the mobile DevOps world, what I, what I found is that it's also hard to find material. Yeah, like I I uh, I gave a talk recently and it, it was called Tales of a Mobile DevOps, and I sort of like you know share my story and share some of the tools I personally suggest and. I realized that if you search for mobile DevOps, there is not so much. And yeah, I can see how it's hard to justify. Yeah. I can see how it's hard to, to convince management to, to spend time on infra work because you don't have direct connection with, with feature and with money. Yeah. But it's, it's crucial and it's important for like support the, the growth of a company. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, we'll definitely also, um, if your, your talk is recorded or your slides are somewhere on the internet, I'll also link that in the show notes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, I, I definitely agree that I think from a mobile perspective, there is not a lot of material out there where people are looking at DevOps from a mobile point of view and saying, okay, cool. Um, we need this in order to actually grow, which is something that you mentioned, which is really important. If you do want to grow and you want people to be able to collaborate really well and you maybe want feature teams uh, and for them to bring an app together at some point, you're going to need to kind of like orchestrate that whole process um, and maybe have, like you mentioned, there's there's all these names that people have, like infrastructure or foundation or core team or platform team. Um, they are probably those people that will bring all of that together and um, will be helping the, the app actually go out, um, which is which is something cool. And I, I definitely agree also with the culture part of it. Like the DevOps culture, um, you have to have a DevOps culture if you want it to work. Um, I've seen it from my experience also where some people um, they want to do all the CI stuff, but then they don't they don't see value in it because, like you said, it's not always um, linked to uh, monetary value or, or churn or all of this or analytics where stuff is like spiking. But when they do see the benefit where their app does maybe stop crashing because um, they have a lot more tests, they have a lot more better code quality with static code analysis. They have bulls that are not coming from people's machines. Um, all of this kind of like brings up that culture, um, which is which is really really awesome. And that kind of brings me back to in the beginning we had the we spoke about the little infinity the infinity symbol. Um, and one of the things yeah. that we that we didn't um, touch on yet is, that's in that infinity symbol is monitoring. Um, and I think monitoring is obviously monitoring, or people, some people call it monitoring and logging or feedback. Um, and I think that's a very important um, part of the, the cycle. Um, maybe we can dive a little bit into what or what goes into monitoring um, or feedback or part of the feedback part of this, this whole DevOps um, cycle that we, we, we're trying to achieve. Yeah. I'm a big fan of waking people up. 
that's my mod. <laughs> like people need to be awakened if things are on fire. <laughs> no, I mean, joking aside. So um, yeah, absolutely. Like we are in the mobile world. So if you, if you ship your app to production and you have like, I don't know, 1 million users and then something goes really bad. First, you want to know if things are going really bad. Yeah. Like <laughs> you need, you need, like you don't want to be on the wrong page of the verge <laughs> because your app is crashing and read it from there. You want to be notified before. So, um, definitely you need to have, uh, let's call this. So the so-called observability, like you need to have a way to say like, hey, I know what my app is doing and I know it's going wild. Uh, there are too many crashes or these specific screen that should be shown every time that the user opens the app, it's not shown anymore or this banner is gone or my users are not able to buy my paid subscription or product anymore. That might be a critical you know, metric to check. And then like once, once you're able to observe, you need to have like the so-called incident report pipeline. Like you need to have a way that ideally is automatic, like alerts that gets fired if certain metrics goes above a certain threshold. So if the number of crashes within one hour is above, I don't know, 100, 1000, you define it, but you, you need to see the data before being able to set your thresholds. But once you, you spend time setting up those thresholds, you need to have incidents being fired and people, people should be awake. <laughs> like, I want to see phones ringing uh, in, uh, like in the night. <laughs> Not really. Uh, so you need, you need to have some sort of like proper incident reporting. Like you, you need to have a system. I, I personally use PageDuty in the past a lot. It works pretty great because it allows you to to register all of your mobile phones uh, and all of your emails and it calls you, sends you SMS, push notification in all the possible way till you acknowledge an incident. And, and it's just like a way, a way to say like, hey, uh, I, I saw the fire at least. Then if, if, uh, if the fire is too big, you can still like um, escalate to someone above you, like your manager, someone, someone higher that has the tools or just knows who is the person that needs to be contacted, but you need to have this pipeline. And if, if you don't want to spend time with page duty, uh, configuring everything, just make sure you receive, a, a message on Slack, on IRC, on, I don't know what people are using now to communicate, <laughs> but yeah, just make sure that you have like a bot that is sending messages and is pinging people in any form, because that's really crucial. Like you don't want to discover the day after that your app went wild the whole night and you lost thousands, hundreds of thousands of users because of random crashes or failures that you could have just, I don't know, prevented maybe by turning off a, uh, Firebase remote config flag, you know? So um, really make sure you look at the data, like developing an app is not just pushing the code and pushing the app to, to production. It's actually looking at your users, see if they're happy and see if your app is healthy. Like when he's in, on the market, you need to know what is going on. Yeah, and that's I do think that's really important. And you even mentioned something there, which was um, Firebase Remote Config, 
where people are using that for different different types of things. They're using it for feature flags. Um, they're using it for um, they're using it for like A/B testing and a whole bunch of things. And I think that maybe also falls into the DevOps realm um, of of tools that um, some people might have. It might be a little bit more advanced. Um, in terms of people creating their own kind of A-B testing suites and all of those type of things. Um, but I think, I think definitely um, having some kind of configuration uh, that does alert people, but also maybe ways to even just turn that new feature you just released last night and all of a sudden um, everything is exploding and you're getting these alerts and you kind of want to just kind of turn it off for the rest of the users. Um, that might be also a way to to prevent that. Yeah, I think that is also one of the uh, one of the crucial tool of any DevOps engineer is capability to remote control the behavior of your app. Because as I said, we are not on web, we are on mobile. Like you can't just redeploy the website and remove that extra line that is crashing everyone. Yeah. You are on mobile, you ship something to millions of users and if that something was bad, it will be bad Yeah. until you have a way to turn it off. So you want to arm yourself with buttons that you can turn on and off or you can control remotely to, to actually control the behavior of your app. I think that's that's crucial in, in mobile. And again, I saw a lot of startup like sh- shipping code to production without any remote config flag, but I saw also a lot of apps crashing randomly and people not being able to control it in any way. Or messages on the Play Store that tells you, please wipe the data <laughs> of this application <laughs> if it doesn't work correctly after you update it. You want to prevent situations like that. You want to be able to to remotely control, remotely wipe, uh, remotely change the behavior of your app if something is on fire. Like have a fallback mechanism, just make sure that your users, even if they don't have the full experience, they might have like a limited experience, but they're still able to use your app. So all those fallback mechanisms are sort of like ways of protection that you need to, to code. And this is like the, the infra behind them is responsibility of DevOps engineers. Yeah. So they, they, sh- they should empower feature developer to just wrap a feature without, without any kind of feature flag and don't think about how this feature flag system needs to be implemented. Yeah. No, no, that's definitely a great point. Um, and hopefully, hopefully people do whoever's listening to this podcast hopefully they do um hear our cries <laughs> um, about having these these tools in place so that they can um, build better apps um out there and i think even again a thing that you mentioned about the play store something that i've, I've also found that a lot of people are doing now is they're kind of doing um kind of like percentage deployments um i can't remember what the word is where you stage, stage rollout. rollout that's the word um yeah so yeah. stage rollouts um just to kind of prevent this and then you can kind of use um these type of tools um to kind of monitor that 10 percent of people that are using this new feature and then eventually take it out yeah. to many users yeah yeah that that's also like another crucial crucial feature like obviously this is extremely easy to set up with the play store 
that when you release a new version, it just don't release to to do to do your whole user base, but just like a small percentage before. I would say like just just do it like that. At least you can control it. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like it depends from from every company to company. Oh, definitely. Um, and then something something that people might be thinking about, they're like, okay, cool. Like this DevOps thing sounds cool. Maybe I want to become a mobile DevOps engineer. Um, where would you recommend people start? I know we mentioned that there's not a lot of material out there. Um, and I think there, there's a few people that are like giving talks about this, but it's not kind of like mainstream as new UI libraries or um, some animation thing or augmented reality or whatever. But I mean, this is this is something that's really, really crucial um, to app develop apps actually being successful out there. And I think even companies being successful um, that that where their apps are their primary um, like tool that people are using in order to kind of like um, use this product. Um, do you have any recommendations of any kind of like resources that people should check out um, to, to kind of start getting into um, into mobile DevOps in particular? Yeah, I mean, I have two, I would say two recommendations. The first one is find the right company, really. <laughs> like, uh, if you're working in a startup, I'll be honest, it's, unless you stay there and the startup grows pretty big, it's unlikely you will do very much structured DevOps work. You will most likely be busy doing, uh, setting up everything for yourself and your peers. Um but, you know, like specific DevOps project that they probably won't be on your table for a while. So, um, you know, that this is like, this is uh, a discipline that is somehow specific of mid to bigger, mid, mid to big companies. So that's the first thing to consider. Uh, if you happen to be like a freelance or if you, if you work in a startup and you still want to work on this kind of stuff, I can definitely recommend to jump on some open source project that is doing DevOps. There are a lot of it. Um, for example, I really liked Detect and that was just great for me to contribute. I was, uh, I ended up, I worked on another project called Chucker that is a, is a debug tool. Debug tools are great ways to embrace the DevOps world because you are building tools and libraries that are for other developers. Uh, Fastlane is open source and is uh, looking for contributors. Um, Bitrise has open source uh, actions, so you can yeah. build actions. GitHub Actions as uh, is open source. Sorry, GitHub Actions supports uh, open source actions, so you can just create your action and they will be used by the community. My suggestion on this front is try to onboard on tools that you use. Like I onboarded with Detect and I was a user of Detect. Yeah. If tomorrow you wake up and you want to become a contributor or a maintainer of Detect and you don't, you never used it, that's going to be challenging because you miss a lot of perspective from the user point of view, like you don't really know what the users, like what, what do they really need? So it will be harder for you to pick up. So try to see on the tools that you use daily, 
which of those is open source, which of those could be improved. Try to get in touch with the community. Not all the open source community are the same. Some are more welcoming than others. But uh, try to get in touch. Uh, get in touch with us at Detect. We are more than welcome with contributors. Or try to get in touch with other communities. I'm pretty sure you will find like your opportunity to, to start touching the DevOps world. And that will give you a huge boost also on your CVE and will give you like a, a, a lot of uh, power to take that tool internally in your company because then you will be like the sort of like the expert of that tool because you're one of the contributor and then you can say like, hey, this tool is great. We should use it. Uh, I, I developed it. And I can provide support for it. Like I'm one of the maintainers. If something goes wrong, I know how it works internally. Yeah. So uh, think about it. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I think I think there's a lot of people that will probably take your advice um, and hopefully jump into um, some open source projects and hopefully even take some open source projects and create a CI or add um, things like detect to an open source project where. Um, where those those projects can actually um, have a lot more quality um, from from um, newer releases that are actually being released to millions of users that are using these libraries or whatever it might be. And then for my final question is a random question that I also think that might be on people's minds is if you are a DevOps engineer, is there a specific programming language that you need to know? Um, or is there a programming language that is vital to doing the job? Um, I mean, we, you, can, you can pretty much use a lot of programming languages these days for a lot of things, but from a DevOps point of view, if you wanna be, if you wanna be really good at it, um, like, is there, is there like a fundamental language? Like with Android, it's like Kotlin and Java, and with iOS, it's Objective-C and Swift. Um, so you kind of need to be good at those languages, but for DevOps, what is it? Um, is there a language? Well, <laughs> there is a language, and I think it's Bash. <laughs> but I'm terrible at Bash. I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm good with the console per se, but writing scripts in Bash, I always need to Google everything. Like. If uh, I don't know, I don't remember how Bash is checking if the string is empty or not. It's just so like, it's not user-friendly, but, but the great thing of Bash is that it's everywhere. Like you can deploy that script and it will run everywhere. Um, but I've been using a lot of Kotlin script re recently. I know it's not available everywhere. Like you can't just run a Kotlin script wherever you want. There are some tips and tricks to make it easy and more portable. It's not as portable as Bash, I gotta be honest. But if you write your scripts in Kotlin, then you can use Katelint, Detect on your scripts. <laughs> and they're understandable. Like people understand what actually the script is doing. They don't need to Google that. So um, that, that is in some cases viable alternative. As I said, I'm a big Kotlin fan. I try to use it as much as I can. And for scripting, there are promising uh, solution for Kotlin. 
I try to use it when I can, but sometimes I just like, if it's a super short script that needs to run three commands, um, I'm sorry, Bash is unbeatable <laughs> on this. Okay, cool. Um, I've actually heard a lot of people also like Ruby um, for, um, for, for writing scripts. Um, so Ruby is also um, quite popular and a lot of people also like Python. Um, yeah, so the other thing with Python is that as, as Bash is available everywhere. Um, I gotta admit that I saw code written by Android engineers or mobile engineers in general, and it was Python code and was terrible. <laughs> and like even on GitHub and like really, I don't think Android engineers on as a whole are great at writing Python code. So I'm fine with having, like, because, you know, you will end up having those scripts and people will touch them. So, so you want to make them easy to understand and easy to maintain. I really believe in Kotlin being a better tool for this rather than Python. And also you have no idea of how many times we ended up in situations where like, oh, this was an old Python 2 scripts and now we're running that with Python 3 and... It just blows up because, <laughs> I don't know, on this machine, we have a wrong version of Python. So, um, yeah, Kotlin generally pr protects you from those kind of problems. And and even Bash, like, I never heard of, like, I mean, yeah, there are incompatibility between Bash versions, but they're so rare. So generally, like, Bash scripts will just run fine. Um, yeah, so... I would say I will vote for Kotlin as a scripting language. Uh -huh. It might be the the the, the sinking ship, <laughs> honestly. But but I'm a big fan of it. I wrote quite some some significant and important scripts with that. Yeah. And they work fine. So so I I will advocate for that. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Um I've actually never tried um Kotlin script. Um but I will maybe go have a look at it um, and see what it's all about. Um, I've tried, like, I mean, from an iOS perspective, I know that uh, you can write scripts in Swift also. So for any um, engineers out there that are um, iOS engineers and they're looking for something that is um, similar to Kotlin and something that they're more familiar with, um, you can write scripts um, in Swift also. So that's cool. But I think, I think like you mentioned, um, if it's a language that you're familiar with and you can write scripts in it, um, I think it makes it a lot easier for not just one person to maintain, but also for the whole team to maintain if needed, um, because it's a, a familiar language. Um, but yeah, um, from my side, I think we've covered a lot there um, today. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything yeah. else that you um, wanted to mention to the listeners. Um, maybe some final words Um around mobile mobile devops well i want to mention that i keep on receiving messages on twitter or emails from people that are telling me that what i'm talking about sounds like their dream job <laughs> and they would love to do it and i invite I invite everyone to write me like i'm more than happy to to provide any sort of like mentoring or guidance or suggestion if you're looking for uh, like to get involved in this. I think it's a really niche field, 
but it's I, I love it honestly. Like I really love to be be able to write tools for other developers. I know a lot of other people just hate it. Like they need to write feature code. They want to see stuff on the screen. They want to know that the users click that specific button. Um, but yeah, it's either you like it or you hate it, I would say. But again, feel free to reach out to me if you need uh, suggestions specifically on some tools, on guidance, career advice, I'll be more than happy. And it's all a matter of finding like the, the great spot, I would say. Okay, awesome. And how do how do people find you on the internet? Like, um, do on Twitter you mentioned what's your handle? Um, I'll also link yeah, it in the so description. My, amazing. So my my Twitter handle is Cortinico, and that's also my GitHub username. So you can find me there. My email is also public on GitHub. Uh, so if you go there, you can just write me, and I'm pretty active over there. If you want to jump on on any project, just feel free to drop me an email. I, as I said, I, I tried to like in the in the last months during the pandemic, I did some uh, remote mentoring. So I had people that had no experience with open source, and I tried to onboard them, and uh, some of them were also quite successful. I'm I'm really proud of that. It's it's always nice when you see like people that never played with GitHub and they have their uh, first pull request merged yeah. in even bigger projects. So really feel free to reach out to me and share material if you find anything, if you write anything, uh feel free to to share it with me and with the rest of the community. I gave this this talk, as I said uh, before, about DevOps, and will be will be linked both the slides and the and the recording, so you can you can go through. That's sort of like an introduction to mobile mobile DevOps as a whole. Uh, let me hear. Like, feel free to to tell me your feedback. Also, if you if you watched it, I'll be I'll be more than than open to to hear that. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for taking out the time to chat and. I've learned a lot and I know our listeners are probably going to learn a lot from what we spoke about today. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, they are motivated to at least have a CI up and running on any project that they um, are building out there. But thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming out. Well, I guess sitting in your, sitting in your, um, your house in Sweden um, and like chatting yep. over the internet and yeah um, hopefully we get to, to chat soon again thank you very much for having me awesome ciao Great. ciao ciao thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast cheers